Embrace every mess, give yourself some grace To relax, then chill with this If you wanna laugh, then chill with this Embrace every mess, give yourself some grace Need something to think about, just kick this out Put on your head, but so chill with this Embracing every mess with Darius Phelps and Sir Princeton Harden guys, I'm one of your co-hosts, Darius Phelps, and welcome back to Embracing Every Mess. Hi, my name is Sir Princeton Harden, and we have a special guest with us, Van Phillips Jr. Go ahead, let's welcome Van Phillips into the room. Yes, 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 man, man, I, I mean, it's an absolute pleasure for you guys to just extend your platform to me and just have me on you guys' platform to just, you know, embracing all the mess, all the stress. And just trying to be blessed, man. Just trying to be blessed. So, man, I appreciate you guys extending this opportunity to me, man. I currently reside in Shreveport, Louisiana right now. Um, fifth and sixth grade ELA um, teacher. Um, I've won a few awards here and there. Um, <laughs> other than that, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a follower of Christ. Um, I'm not going to bore everybody with a soliloquy as a bio, though. <laughs> we appreciate it, man. We appreciate you being here. And, you know, when we decided on the title, Embracing Every Mess, we had no clue that the mess that we are in right now was going to be what we actually right. embrace. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is taking us a, 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 a long way. You know, it's taking us back to where we have to actually go back into our history. Um, and if you don't know what I'm talking about right now, I'm talking about Black Lives Matter, you know, so the Black Lives Matter movement or continuation of the movement, you know, it's really, it's making people go back and say, one, Black people didn't start with slavery. You know, we have stories before slavery, we had kings, we had queens, we had people running things, you know, um, and that's what, you know, we really need to be able to focus on the, the good things about us and now in the current climate that we are in as a country and it's this is a mess that we definitely have to embrace so um this week i'm actually in texas so i came back home to visit my uh my son's mom we brought my son down so we can visit her and i got to see you know my dad and everybody pretty much that I, um you know that was in that was COVID safe I'll say that. That was COVID safe. Uh, no, I understand. No, I understand. I understand. I understand. So, but that made me think about a family affair, right? Like, with these, in these times that we're in, how, how are you dealing with things within your family? Like, how do you have these conversations with your kids? Um, how are you keeping yourselves lifted up? All right, so... With me, I have a four-year-old and I also have a two-year-old, so they're not necessarily at the age to understand fully, like, what's going on. They really don't even know about COVID-19. You know, now my oldest, she has been saying for literally about a month and a half how much she misses her friend mm -hmm. and just how much she misses school. And she doesn't understand almost the pandemic that the world has been, you know, currently under for the past, what, three to four months. And so... We're just explaining to them, it's just a bunch of germs in the world. And we're just trying to figure out, and it's just taking us a little bit longer to clean the world up. And so that's what we keep telling them. That's what we keep telling her. But now it's gone from us explaining her to it that way to when daddy steps out of the truck, daddy, where's your mask? 
Uh. Why don't you have on gloves? And so how the how the conversation has shifted is it's, it's it's almost shaking me a little bit because just a few weeks ago we went ahead and ordered our kids masks, you know, because although we are in this um, this place of mess right now, right. we still don't want that to cripple to a certain extent. So we are planning on going to see my uh, wife's parents. We are planning on going to see my parents. We are planning on actually going to see my sister. She just had a baby. So big congrats to her. So we plan on going to see her, see them, but we also want to keep everybody, including our kids, safe, just like everyone else. So the biggest adjustment that I that I'm figuring out how to make is, you know, basically the title, just embrace the mess. Yes, it's messy, but you know, how do we make a messy salad? You know, how do we make how do we make something good that has been deemed and has been almost centralized as something so negative or something so bad? Even when it comes to, you know, people, how people are trying to twist the words that um, about the whole Black Lives Matter movement, you know, just the whole mess thing. We're just trying to make the best out of all of this situation. Right. And it's very important to remember that um, with those family dynamics, you have so many different types of families. Right. So me, for me, example, my family is my son and his mother. Right. So, no, we're not married, um, but we're great co-parents. At least I like to think so. Um, I remember I went, we took pictures earlier this year and I posted some of the pictures and I just wrote, you know, little things about, you know, the ups and downs of co-parenting and how we made it work for ourselves. And every family isn't the same. You know, every co-parent situation is not ideal, you know? So for us, you know, with teaching our son about COVID. Well, he's 15 now, so he gets it. You know, he walks around and say, you're going to get infected if you don't do this. So same thing as you, you know, where's your gloves? Where, where's your mask? He's a little older, so he gets to understand it. But um, the different types of families also play a role in this Black Lives Matter as far as, you know, how are, as they say, the baby mamas and baby daddies, you know, that... To me, it kind of seems as a, I don't use the term because it can have a negative connotation with it. It definitely can. It definitely can. And I'm, I've known some people embrace it. You know, Brandy just came out with a song called Baby Mama. I don't particularly like the song itself. I love Brandy, but I don't really like that song. But I try to get that, uh, use those terms, or I try not to use those terms because it makes it makes it feel like it's something that's negative um, with, when it comes to co-parenting um, your, your youth. Because right now, parenting is hard. You know, parenting is hard. I mean, and I love the way that you and your wife explain um, COVID and corona to your, your son and your daughter, you know, a lot of germs. Because they don't, you don't want four-year-olds walking around thinking they're about to die <laughs> if they step outside. Same thing. Right, no, I was going to say, that's just that age. I, I couldn't imagine having to explain. That's one thing I was going to say is just how beautifully you did explain that to a four-year-old. Right. Because some people, you know, they take it to the extreme. And that, that's a lot to process at such a young age. Yes, because it, it's a lot to process as an adult. Like, yeah. you're going from doing something a specific way on a specific routine every single day, just as I can just only speak for just as a teacher. Right. You know, and, and literally... In the blink of an eye, all of it stops, and you have to literally do everything an opposite way and learn something else. Like it's 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 crazy. 
I know for me, like now, you know, I normally keep my wallet and my keys like on my dresser as I head out the door. And I'm like, oh crap, where's my mask? You know, like that's now part of the routine. I'm like, how long is this going to go on? Am I going to have to get a mask to match every outfit? You see what I'm saying? Because that's just how yeah. long we're going to be, you know, in this state. You know, you, you, you don't know. You really don't know. And masks have become very lucrative here lately because <laughs> I'm seeing people have all kinds of masks now. Yeah, like I said, man, we just ordered our kids some off Amazon. I'm thinking about getting something put on the front of it, <laughs> thinking about doing something device. So just trying to, again, making the best out of this mess, you know, colors, fluorescent, paint, whatever. Yeah. Just, just something to make them continue so it won't be so monotonous. But then you have to add on what's happening with Black Lives Matter on top of it, too. It's literally shaking the world. Right. Yes. Shaking the entire world. When my son and I were coming to Texas, we were going to the, we were in the airport, and I thumped him on his forehead because he kept putting that hood on his head, right? And I, I'm, I'm a stifler for you can be you, but at the same time, you have to be aware. So he, he asked me a question. His question was, why should I have to change who I am and how I'm comfortable dressing because of how other people will feel? What about mm -hmm. how I feel? You know what I mean? I, I was stuck, like really stuck. Like I get it. I understand hoods for our youth these days are like, they're like security blankets almost. It's nothing threatening about it to them. It's just how they feel safe. Um, but I don't want to, once again, bash him over the head with, well, you're black. So, you know, we have to do things a little bit differently. Um, but it makes me think about Rashad, uh, Rashard Brooks down in, in Atlanta, right there at the window. Just, just two days ago, what, a day ago, two days ago? Yeah. As, as soon as I touched down in Texas, I start seeing nothing but those stories. And I was like, this is absolutely crazy. I mean, in the Marines, in war in Iraq, we had what they call the escalation of force, right? So if there was a threat, um, there were certain things that you had to do as a military personnel before you could shoot somebody fatally, right? So the first step is we were doing convoys all the time, and I was a gunner. So that means that half of my body was outside of a seven-ton truck, and I had this weapon. I had this big old machine gun, and I'm riding in the rear the majority of the time, I was always the rear vehicle. And in Iraq, we had lots of suicide bombers. And so what they would do is they would have a car, they would have a bomb attached to their car or in their car, and they would take their car and use, they would weaponize it and drive into convoys and those cars would explode. And so you never knew which car was going to be the threat, but there were different steps you had to take. The first one was waving a flag. So they got me this flag. We had to learn. We actually went to training on how to wave a flag. So you have to wave your flag. Let them know, hey, we're here. Slow down. If they don't slow down, um, we have pin flares. So you will shoot a pin flare in the direction of the car, but you can't hit the car. That way, you know, well, pin flare, they're still coming. Then you get a, a warning shot. You shoot around into the air. From there, you kind of shoot to disarm the vehicle. You want to stop the vehicle. And the only time you would shoot to try to kill was if they had, if they're really just too close. And the only way to stop that vehicle from going off is to kill the driver. Where was the escalation of 
force. You know, I know they said, I know we had the taser, right? I saw the taser. I saw him running with the taser. But where was the warning shot? You know what I mean? Or why not shoot somebody in the leg? You know, are you not qualified or trained to where you can aim for certain body parts? Or, or what? I mean, how do you go straight to a fatal shot? Three. Three shots, you know, and to so kill. That lets me know you can shoot. That lets me know you can shoot. It lets me know you can shoot. So if you can shoot his back, I mean, you can aim a little bit further down. But to kill a man from running away. And have you guys seen the video of what happened before? I was literally just about to bring that up. Just as like how he is just like, I don't want any problems, man. Like yeah. my sister just stays right around the corner. Her house is literally a few minutes away. If you don't want me driving, I will walk. Right. I just don't want to be in violation of anything. And and then just to see how the cop is literally trying to twist his words around because he knows he's inebriated. Right. Like right. that's his whole reason. That's his whole reasoning for being parked, doors locked, and sleep because I am inebriated. And for you to use something against me that you know I'm trying to be safe and I'm trying to protect everyone around me for you now to use that against me to hurt your will is so cowardly. It's yeah. just so cowardly how you can literally try to twist my words up to make it fit the description that I am breaking a violation because you know I'm inebriated. Because you can watch the video and you can tell. And that's that my point is at some point, if you're going to detain him, right? And to me, when they started detaining him, that's when it went left. Um, and I don't think everything should have went down that way. Um, but I don't believe he was he deserved to be shot. I think that's when, it, in his mind, you know, that's when it, it started becoming real. He thought he was going to talk himself out the situation. But the cop did. He was just, well, how many did you have? Two? You had two? No, I had one and a half. You know, I was drinking one, and I was, you know, stopped in the middle of another one. But for them to let it go so far so fast but he was purposely avoiding purposely literally avoiding issues only to still have an issue right right i mean once he started fighting and they scuffled oh, it was, now it was gonna, I, I knew it was i did i told and i told my son you know because i watched the video with him and i was like he did everything right. He was talking to the cops. Now, when they start putting those handcuffs on me, he started fighting. I say, that's where it went south. You know? Yeah. Um, however, that does not give them the right nope. to, to nope. shoot. You know, because, nope. I mean, we are all, I know I still get terrified getting pulled over. You know, I see a cop, I double check the rear view mirror three times, and I look in the side mirrors, both of them, at least another two. And I got my seatbelt on. Got my, got, what, right, that? right. Make sure your hand is up in the tube. Make sure your phone is nowhere to be seen. Is is my license plate light on? You know, because I got stopped over that one time. I didn't even know license plates had lights. <laughs> like there's a <laughs> like there's a light back there. I'm like I didn't know that. Well, it's out. You know, so yeah, he probably did have that real. He was probably afraid for his life too. You know, and that's the reality. We know that cops say that they're, and I know cops go out there and they put their lives online every day, but the black man was just as scared 
you know, being stopped and talked to and you never know exactly how the situation is going to go. So it's really difficult to um, let that ride, which is why um, the white lady burned the Wendy's down. Did y'all see that part? Oh, I missed that one. Yeah. I missed that part. Yeah, that, that, that's a Karen. That's a straight up Karen that burned down that Wendy's. Well, I saw the I saw pictures of it burning, and then I was like, okay, did they burn down the Wendy's? But then later on, somebody leaked it. They leaked hers pouring an accelerant on it or something. I didn't see her. I didn't see it. I did not see her light a match and it go start the fire from there. I saw her pouring something over there. So yeah. right That's now. That's what I saw too. Let me say allegedly. Allegedly, <laughs> there was a white lady that uh started the fire and they were in those comment sections going crazy. Like, why are you snitching on her? Or then all of a sudden people, well, the Karens have our back. I was like, oh my God, this, this is it's too much. It's too much, too fast. And I like to wait, you know, before I say what my real opinion is because I don't, I don't know enough right now. I don't know who really started the fire. Allegedly, she started it. That's the video that we saw. But that Wendy's did come down. They are, they are not going to, they are not, they are not going to let this rest. This is not going to slow down. We have to do, it has to be something radical in order for them to truly know that hey we're not going to just stand by you just letting black people get shot especially our black men that are unarmed and it's kind of like just the based off the premises because I, I, I what i've been seeing lately is a lot of people are quoting dr king and using some of the things he said as far as in his push towards nonviolence. Mm -hmm. But they don't understand the method to the madness of him getting things changed. And now when people hear this, I hope they don't take this out of context, but everywhere Dr. King went, it was a specific reason. I want to be so peaceful that it's going to upset them and, then, and that upsetting them is going to leave them violating us and we just got to make sure it's on camera. Mm -hmm. And so this premise that the way a the way thing might catastrophically change is like as far as when Dr. King when he was fighting for laws to be changed, and now we're fighting for equal representation. You know, just by saying our life matters as well, not just our our life only matter, but our life our lives matter as well. And so when you look at the approach that Dr. King, what what he preached and the thing in the in the light that he walked, and then you start looking at some of the things that we're doing. Although we're going about it differently, but what you see is almost the same result as far as a, a sense of violence. When they say rioting and looting and burning things down, you know, it is, it is an act of violence. Mm -hmm. And people, for some odd reason, they don't change unless that particular violence that they see is triggering. Okay. Like this, like the the George Floyd thing, different than anything else that NWA been rapping back, been rapping since what the eighties and the nineties. Yep. It's no different. Like it's literally no different. People don't like. People don't understand. Like it, it was a thing called the LA rise. It was a thing called the Atlanta rise. It was a thing called the New York. Like this isn't new. Nope. Like this isn't new. The only thing that has happened now is now that things are on camera. And I think what happened with 
the George Floyd case and, the, and, and, and why it shook people so bad is he literally was strangled to death. Like he literally was strangled to death. Yeah. Like, like he was hung without a, he, he was hung without a noose. Exactly. Like he was hung without a noose. He was strangled to death before your eyes and you saw he was handcuffed, hopeless. And so now that act of violence has now triggered the world. And the only thing that I see that is happening is the more people are being violent, you know, when this thing first started off, because I honestly think if that, if that type of rioting wouldn't have happened or looting wouldn't have happened, it would have been, it would have been in the news cycle, out of the news cycle in one, maybe two days. That's how it happened was. No, go ahead. Go, up, no, go ahead. Go ahead. You're good. Was when, when, we, when, when the looting and the rioting had started happening two, three days afterwards, now I have to continue not only talking about the movement, but as, uh, as well as the rioting and the looting. And now I got to talk about the cleanup. So I'm still, so, so the Black Lives Matter movement is still in the news cycle because of that, because of that. Yeah. And I think a lot of people wanted to combat and not by any means am I saying, I am a component or I'm advocating violence by any means, but violence is the thing that, all, that, that almost always have triggered a change in the world. And I want people to understand the parallels between the two. Yeah, it's because that's how they were doing Breonna Taylor. You know? Um, quiet, quiet. Quiet, and we, we're not letting this stop. You know, they made a law after her. They call it, it's now the Breonna law, so no more kick-in raids. But what's what the name? I want no law. Miles Crossgrove, Brett Hank Hankinson, Jonathan Mattingly, free, still free, still free. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't need a law. I want justice right now. How do you kick in somebody's door while they're asleep and then shoot them? You know what like, I mean? And better yet, how do you kick in somebody's door and literally not expect to get shot at? I mean, and you know how our black queens. <laughs> Like, you don't announce yourself. You don't do anything. You just burst in. Like, like, huh? Who wakes up and has clear vision? Who wakes Not up? I? You know what I mean? Nobody. So, and, you, and, and you scared? And she, had, she probably had, you know, you know, we got, they have their bonnets on their hair. They're relaxed. You are at home. You bust in my door. You start shooting. And the person you're looking for doesn't even live there. Like, how? How are they still getting paid? What type of intel are you guys are you guys gathering from the your Like another life is lost. No, somebody got to be here responsible. Somebody has to be. Well, we're not letting it, we're not gonna let it go. We can't let it go. We have to make sure that we are we are continually, you know, demanding these things to, to change. Just like they got on their freeway. You know, they stopped that interstate. And, and Atlanta freeways are not little freeways. You know, it's not like... Oh, no. Oh, no. They are not. At certain points, you have eight lanes going the same direction. I mean, it's, it, it's crazy. So if we can, if they stop the traffic there, somebody has to listen. There has to be a point um, that's made. People have to start understanding um, I call this the era of understanding now. That's why I feel like we're at right now. Um, all these movements that are happening require people to actually, they need to stop, listen, and then try to get some kind of understanding. Will they ever know exactly what it's like? No, 
But once we try to begin to understand the, the different types of obstacles that people have to go through, it makes, it'll make things a lot easier to, uh, to, to live. It's kind of like what we do. It's kind of like what we do as far as with teaching, as far as understanding. Yo, I don't have to be, I don't have to come from a single parent background to understand what it's like for my, for my student in my classroom to struggle because they are in a single parent background. I don't have to have, I don't have to be engulfed in a bunch of dysfunction as far as when I was a kid to understand that my child that I'm teaching in this specific classroom right now was just engulfed with nothing but negativity, negative energy, and just dramatic experiences. And it is my job to understand, to understand any and everything that she do, that she does, excuse me, inside this classroom is just a microcosm of what's going on at home. Right. At home, it's just a microcosm. And I don't necessarily need to be in that situation to understand that situation. We're not asking you to be black. Right. We're just asking you to understand what it's like to be black. I'm not asking you to go to go imitate or try to put your put my shoes on your feet. I'm not asking that at all because in no way, shape, form, or fashion are you ever going to really truly understand what it's like to be me when I walk out of my when I walk out of my house. But what I am right. asking you is I'm asking you to understand, understand that every single day I have to be mindful of what I put on because I know it will be. I will be perceived in a negative light if it's if it can be perceived in a negative light. I won't get the benefit of the doubt. I won't get the I'm just coming from the gym. Or I won't get, oh, I was just running down the street. I won't get that. And for the simple fact I won't get it, I need you to understand just some of the privilege that you have by you can literally go outside and you won't be judged by somebody who has a badge on. Or you can walk in the grocery store possibly with your hood on and nobody might not say anything to you and nobody might not even clutch the first title. Right. But that privilege that you have, but I need you to understand your privilege. I think a, a problem that we're having is it's not enough people understanding. Right. Like I'm not asking, you don't have to be me. Don't, I'm not See, asking that, you to. That's the thing though. I don't think they necessarily want to understand. I think because it's been so long, going on so long, we're automatically deemed as ignorant, we're automatically deemed as savages. We are the crazy ones, so to speak, quote unquote. They don't want to try to understand where we're coming from. They could care less. We're automatically deemed as, oh, y'all the ones that gonna act a fool no matter what we say or do. You're gonna react like an idiot. It's the reason why they call us what they call us. It's it's kind of like what they do within sports. Um, a white athlete might be just passionate, but a black athlete is angry. Right. We're always angry. Yeah. He's a bad locker room guy. And it's just the way they flip the two. Same exact, same exact emotions in the same exact environment, right. but yet you have two different adjectives to describe the behaviors. It's that's just like that's just like if a white teacher was to put their hands on a student, they were tired. They were stressed out. But if it was one of us, oh, they go on crazy. They're about to nut up. They're angry. They need to have their license revoked. It's everything we do is rooted in anger, but that's not who we are. You're not trying to understand where the hell this anger is rooted from, that this years and years of generational trauma, what you did to us back in the day. I mean, this stuff does not go away. And what's going on right now, you're building upon it. You don't realize what the foundation is. You don't realize what you're doing and how this ties back into basically history repeating itself. I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I stepped outside. Um, like I said, I'm not at home, so I'm visiting. But I stepped outside, 
and I didn't have on shoes, right? I didn't have on shoes. But when I stepped outside, it was nighttime. I was still thinking, how am I, how am I going? How am I a threat to anybody right now? You know, so it made me think, if we, if Black Lives Matter and we, you know, magically erased racism, take racism away, right? When will Black people still start to feel in our own psyche? When will we still, when will we begin to feel like we have some type of privilege to where we can walk outside at night and not say, oh, am I becoming a threat? No. No. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I said it's funny you say that because I've grown up in Georgia all my life. And but when I went to the West Coast, I felt free. I don't know why. I can't really explain it, but it's something about being on the What, what part of the West Coast did you go to? I was in LA. Man, it's something about LA, man. I, that's what I'm saying. I don't I can't it's hard to put into words, but like I've never and I was raised by my grandparents, so they were like sixty in their sixties, late seventies when I was born. I've never walked the streets at night by myself. Never, never. But I was like 23, 24 when I was in LA. I was comfortable walking to God knows where, not even using a GPS, not even looking behind me to see who the hell is behind me. I felt so secure. I, I don't know why. It's the energy out there, man. It's a different energy that you that 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 just LA period has. Yeah. I literally felt the same exact thing when I, my wife and I went to LA with last summer. Mm-hmm. It was just just everything about it puts you almost at a, at a level of peace. Yeah, and it's just like you feel so at home, but it's just like you're not at home. You're like so far from home home, but you feel so at peace. Like, I can be me. I can do what I need to do. You know, I can wear what I want to wear. I can walk the way I want to walk. I am me. You see what I'm saying? It's just like that's the first time in my life I have felt like free outside, you know, within my own little box. I'm like, what is going on? I guess I just haven't felt that yet. I mean, everywhere I go, I don't like getting lost. I feel like if I'm lost and I'm not going from point A to point B, that in the middle of me being lost, something could potentially happen. You know what I mean? So my question kind of went a little further to like, you know how epigenetics works, right? Generations of trauma gets coded into your DNA. So we're, so right. we're as we make more and more kids, we're putting something in their DNA that makes them feel a little bit, I hate to say this word, but inferior, you know, to the, to the other race. How long will it take for their epigenetics to be reversed? You know, when will our black brothers and sisters be able to stand up and go get lost and not be afraid that they're going to get, or harm is going to come their way simply because they're black? I, you know, I hate to say this in a sad sentence, but I really truly feel like never at least from what I can see, at least in however long I'm destined to live, I can't, it's hard for me to see that happening. Yeah, I don't see it, I don't see it happening. I don't see it happening necessarily in my lifetime either. I don't even think, I don't even know if my kids might be able to experience that. I think it's going to take years and years and years of that because I mean, you gotta think about this 400 years of systemic oppression. Yeah. People don't understand even, even when, we, when we were seen as slaves, People don't like as a slave, you the average the average year of a slave that you know you lived was like 35, 36 years old. Like the average year for yes, you had those who did, you know, live much longer lives, but the average year for a slave was 35 to 36. And a lot of people don't understand that. So you just take you just take the average you just take the average um lifespan expectancy of a slave 
and it's 35, 36, and you see how many generations that is until slavery was abolished. Like how many generations have that, have that trauma when you're only, it's only 35 years that you're expected to live and then you're going to die. And then that, that, that son or that daughter's only expected to live 35 to 40 years and then they'll, so that's generation after generation after generation because mm -hmm. generations, they weren't living to 70. They were living to 80. And so they were only living half of their life expectancy. So a normal life expectancy might, that we might see was half of their life expectancy. So I think it's going to take literally years to almost, um, what do they call it? Um, oh man, like, un, like unlearn and relearn. Man, I was just looking at. Uh, I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. Man, I was just listening, looking at Tilt's podcast, man, just yesterday. They had, they had a cat, uh, uh, like he made millions off social, he made millions off social media. A lot of people, like he's very intelligent, but if you just look at him, you wouldn't think that got tats all over his face, name, it's Grace something. But he he said something, I cannot remember. I, it's going to come to me in a second, though. It's going to come to me in a second. Story of my life, brother. That's that's my brain every day. I, I can't even be yeah. um, But, yeah, the epigenetics, it's going to take, it's going to be a, a long time before, you know, my son's kids and his kids can feel like, oh, I can go out at night and go grab something out the car and no one's going to think I'm up to something. You know, um, but that makes me think about um, this month is, is LGBTQ plus month, right? It's, it's, the, it's the pride. Right. You know, and um, Zaya Wade had her 13th birthday. And I love the fact that Dwayne and Gabrielle are, I'm saying it like I know them. I don't know them. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that they are taking the steps to understand what she's going through and understand that, yo, my daughter is black and now identifies as a, as a girl. And it, it still right. pains me that much to see us attacking two parents for loving their kid. You know, I, if my son did something, I don't care what he did. He's going to always be my son. You know what I mean? I'm always going to have his back. If he does something wrong, of course, I'm going to let him know he did something wrong. But I'm still going to love my son. And when you hear people like Hill Harper coming up saying, young man, and he, she clearly says she, her name is Zaya. She wants to be, she is transitioning or however that process is going to work for her. Right. A girl, um, let, let her live a life. You know, do you, have, you don't have, go ahead. No, I'm just saying, with Hell Harper, do you think he just made an innocent mistake? Or do you think he just, say he was not actively following Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle Union, so he didn't really know that, like, she had, quote-unquote, transitioned to claiming, you know, the female gender. He but, just but, never looked at the picture and was like, congrats, young man, because, you know, looking at the picture, she does still look, you know, to the naked eye, like a boy. Do you think that, you know, he was wrongfully, like, ate alive? Because, they, they, I mean, they ate, they attacked him pretty strongly after he made that comment. But then again, I think, I think even though I understand, I understand, I definitely understand that point of view. But I don't think Hill Harper, Harper is too disconnected to know what's going on. Right. True, true. Because, I mean, she's been transitioning for, like, at least half a year now. 
yeah, I don't think he's too disconnected to possibly understand what's going on. Look, if he if he is disconnected, like if he didn't know what's going on, I definitely I shoot I shoot I shoot him as bail, you know, innocent mistake. Right. But if it was an innocent mistake, and and he followed it up by saying, "Yo, look, I didn't I didn't have any idea because I don't even know what happened." Did did he follow up with a like a? I think his comment was like, happy birthday, young man, or happy birthday, sir. It was something where he called her the opposite gender. And so then I would say, if it was brought to his attention, what did he say about it? Yo, that like, did he release something like, yo, guys, like, I wasn't meaning it like that. Like, I, I don't follow it. Like, but see, I, that's the thing. Yeah. I don't think I saw him follow back up. I mean, I don't, I didn't follow that story too closely. But I know for me, like, even just regular commenting on Instagram, I'm not going to press send unless I go back. Say you posted a picture. I'm going to go back and read what your caption is. That's what I'm responding to. Maybe that's just a teacher in me, but I'm going to go back and review what it is I'm responding to before I press send. Yeah. And that's the thing, now that I'm thinking about it with Hill Harper, it clearly was a whole big-ass post. I mean, almost an essay about her transitioning, how they did the theme, yada, 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 and you still say, happy birthday, sir, or young man, or whatever he said. And it's just like, were you just that quick to just click send and not really look? But I'm like, it's a big post. It's a paragraph, at least a paragraph, man. Come on, you're one of the most educated black men in America. You can't make that mistake. You can, yeah, you can't afford to make that mistake ever, no matter what it is that you're replying to. You are the poster board cardboard cutout of an educated black man he really is and has been and for a really long time i start yeah csi new york because of him <laughs> i mean yeah. if i'm just keeping it real but these days you have to i will say these days we are learning a lot you know you have different genders and how people identify and all the different titles that you know people want to be you know referred to as so it does make you have to double think and to go back and check yourself and, you know, figure out what's going on so you don't come off sounding, you don't want to sound ignorant. Now, it's one, it's one thing to be ignorant, and I don't get mad at people for being ignorant. You know what I mean? Um, it's another thing to be hateful. And right. you know for a fact that he transitioned to a she, and you're still trying to be like, you know, his mama called him Clay, so I'm gonna call him Clay. You know, if that's still, if that's your mindset, you have to grow out of that. It has to be a point where you grow out of that and you realize that people are gonna live their, lead their own lives. And as long as it's not hurting you or hurting anybody else, why would you, why would you purposely try to call them out? You know, even, even though it was very, very passive aggressive <laughs> you know it was very uh, it was very under the radar but it was read and heard loud and clear because we just had two trans people uh killed this month one in ohio one in pennsylvania so in ohio we have ryo milton and dominique remey fails in pennsylvania and no one gets with the trans it's hard for them because most time their deaths are mis you know they're miscategorized so and right There's now, no box that you want to fit in. Right. And right now we have people that are being, they, they think something as soon as you bring it up. As soon as you bring up trans or LGBTQ plus, people, people's minds go to, I hate to say this, but I'm going to say it. They start doing to them what, they, what the whites did to the blacks. 
But see, it's a double negative. It's a double negative when you're trans or whatever. You seem to say you're someone different and you're black. That's two, three strikes against you automatically. You you checked off four to five boxes. You don't exist in my world. You see what I'm saying? Which uh, 100% is true. 100%. I think I, I, I agree with that. They don't let you be a gay black man. Right. It's like, oh, you're black and you're gay? Oh, hell no. Never mind. You don't exist. And there's always a hierarchy with people. You know, um, so the whites have to shoot on the blacks, you know, and then the blacks, who do we you know? Who do we harp on? And then, well, right. let's talk to about the people who we feel are less than us. And I don't, I don't appreciate that. You know, I don't, I don't appreciate people just having to find what they don't agree with and then being so hateful about it. You don't mm-hmm. have to like I can agree, I can agree with you, and, I, and you can still get like loving energy from me. Right. right. I, can, I can disagree with you and I can still I can still carry on a very intelligent conversation with you. I still can call you a friend, even mm-hmm. though I, I might disagree with you. Just right. as long as your disagree just as long as our disagreement doesn't doesn't um elevate the oppression that my oppressor has already placed upon me, me right. and you we can be friends, or just as long as you're not specifically specifically negatively impacting the culture that I belong to, right? Disagreement, and we can still be friends. Yeah. All this is not like a, like a direct attack. Like we're not directing, you know, directly attacking me, and you know, trying to say that what I view and what I feel is wrong. You know, it's one thing to say like, okay, you feel one kind of way, but I see your perspective. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I see where you're coming from. That's different. When you're negative, you know, when you try to just rightfully attack me and say that whatever I believe, whatever I feel is wrong, that's a problem. At the end of the day, no matter how many points people make, they're, they're always going to find uh, a rebuttal. There's always going to be a rebuttal, you know, um, whether the conversation is whether they choose to be gay or whether they just, whether they're born to be gay, there's always, there's going to be rebuttals out the wazoo. The one thing that you really can't rebuttal, though, is love. You know what I mean? Yeah. You cannot rebuttal that. And Somebody posted a, it was like a fist. It was the Black uh, Solidarity fist. And I think it had rainbow colors around it. And I was able to appreciate that because there are Black gay people. Right. Black gay people um, shouldn't have to choose between being Black and gay. How do you choose that? You know what I mean? So they want to stand up for Black Lives Matter, but then when it comes to gay pride, but you know, you have people that support Black Lives Matter, but they are totally against Pride Month. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's just people wanting to be comfortable with who they are. And when you do something to, that makes somebody uncomfortable with who they are, you're doing the opposite of love. And everybody knows what the opposite of love is. Right. But see, like, love is unconditional. It doesn't matter who you love. I mean, it's just like you can't help who you fall in love with. I mean, you could be literally, that's the thing, I, that's the thing that irritates me personally when people want to go against gays and how they feel or the fact that you're attracted to same sex. We've all been in relations where you didn't expect to be attracted to somebody, but you just fell for them. So try to really give them a little bit of understanding, you know? Just imagine that was you, okay? I never expected to fall in love with a man, and here I am feeling some kind of way. I mean, who who said they didn't feel this? Who to say they didn't go the same way for them? So who are you to judge? 
there has to be compassion amongst people, period. Right. Once right. Compassion, they will be able to, then we will be able to have this Black Lives Matter movement. And I love it. We are, I, people are doing their thing, whether they're podcasting, whether they are posting on Instagram, bringing in, you know, drinks to folks that are protesting, rioting, whatever, whatever your avenue is. Um, it's all, it's all necessary. You know, at some point it's all, it all has its place. But um, I don't want people to get so wrapped up um, that they forget to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want people to, I want people to hate on the other, or the other position because it's not them. Because if white people didn't stand up for Black Lives Matter, I'm telling you, it wouldn't be as impactful as it has been within the past three weeks. Everything, every single time something significant has changed in this world for African Americans, we have needed our white counterparts to also be along with the journey. It wasn't until Dr. King called mm -hmm. on all these clergymen from across yep. the country before he took those steps over Selma. Yeah. When he got them on board, the moment he got them on board, and the moment that the world saw the violence that was being inflicted on people who were simply just trying to march, that is when the world began to really change as far as being able for African Americans to vote. But so, see, you got a point though. If we didn't have somebody in a different color, especially the white color backing us, whatever we were trying to say is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. If you don't have somebody else different backing you up and somebody that's empowered, Whatever you're saying is completely just crap. Because at the end saying? of the day, I will never be black. Right. Like, I won't be black. So what you're trying to argue as far as you want to be seen as equal, well, I'll never be black. So um, that's your problem. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, you you know, you get those teachers within the school, like he's in the fourth grade and he can't read. Well, that sounds like a personal problem to me. <laughs> yep. Yep. Huh? Like that. But see, that's what it gets me though. Like the kid is on your roster, so when you're on my roster, and the last name Phelps, you're my problem. I'm now invested in that. You are a part of me, so therefore it's my problem. But let it be a white teacher with a black student. Oh, Daquan, you over there in your corner. Your problem is your your problem. I got two other kids I need to service that are high above. I need to make sure I reach them. You seem to say there's always something when it comes to people of color. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like they, they. It's kind of like um, they um, they say it's a war on black boys right now. You know, if you take over the, if you, and they say is if you take over the mind, if you take over the well-being of a of a young black boy, you take over the well-being of the future race, because they all they, they they because we are as far as men are just we have just such traits, and if you can snatch the dominant trait, even though if you look at statistics, statistics say over the past five years the highest grossing um, entrepreneurs as far as new entrepreneurs are black women. Mm -hmm. But they say right now is you can take control over the black, over the black boy, then you can take control over the race as they hold because he, he then will grow up and be the black man. Right. And it's kind of like when we start seeing the disparities in the families is when the black man start not being the backbone of the family. And that's the black man. And that takes me right back to co-parenting. I really wish that, um, more parents that parents are people and people don't always make the best relationships, but sometimes they do make children in that process 
And right. as a black family unit, no matter how dysfunctional or functional you think you are, when you don't have those pieces together and you come up with every reason not to make it work, then you are working. It, it does work to a detriment to the entire community and it does not make for a great future because like you say, if they target the, the black boys, that's what they used to do in the day. They used to take the oppressors, the oppressors kids and they will raise them how they wanted them to be. Because every yeah. time when, when they got grown, you know, they knew if you have your allegiance to me that you're safe. And if they felt like you were a problem, they killed you as a boy because they didn't want you coming back and slaying them mm -hmm. when you were grown. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, all in the, it's all in the mindset, man. They've been doing this. They've been doing this since the 1600s, man. You take the mind of a black man and then his body will follow. Well, you take the mind of a black child now in today's time and his future mm -hmm. will follow. Right. So, See, yeah. I think they're doing that deliberately, though. Oh, 100%. Oh, they don't want to succeed. Like, you, got, you got a black president. You, you got your little stamp in history. That's you got all Oprah. We'll ever get. You got LeBron. You got Mike. Right. No. That, that, that's all we're ever going to get. It's a limit to what we can get. It's limited to what we can have with our name on it. They're like, okay, president, check. LeBron. Check. Okay, what else you want to get? Check, check, check. That's it. Yeah, it's kind of like they. It's kind of like with the. I, I was on Twitter and um, they was, they had um, came, they come out with the new um, the new season of, of of The Bachelor is going to be featuring a black man first time in the in twenty five seasons, and I and and, and 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 it's almost it's almost comical that that's still a headline in twenty twenty the first black blank like that's still a headline that is still a headline this is the first this this is the first black that that's what we're asking for we're not asking for we're not asking you to not have just so we can have no we want as equally as much as you have so i don't want it to be the first black this or only three blacks have done this no, I want us to be represented equally so we won't see news clippings uh, after 25 seasons. It's the first season of African-American as, as of The Bachelor. Like, black men just weren't bachelors at all the first 25 seasons. Right. Well, see, that's the thing. I was just talking about that with my mom and my sister earlier. I guarantee you, if you do your research about, what's the guy's name? His name is like Matt Damon, Matt something. His best friends, he, all he does is hang around is, is with white people. I believe it. I saw my literally. I, like the dude, he's best friends with dude's name is Tyler something. He was on the Bachelorette. This is not an off. That's my thing. I don't mind. I'm, I'm grateful that it's a black guy who's a Bachelorette bachelor. But my thing is, he hangs around white people. He's whitewashed, mm -hmm. so to speak. You didn't. Tr you didn't pick a true black person. Mm -hmm. You didn't pick a black entrepreneur who's self-made. You pick somebody who's been hanging around white folks all their life. Well, who's I whitewashed? Like who's probably going to pick a white woman? Or somebody who's not black. So let's just go ahead uh -huh. and see how many black women yeah. you have coming out of that car. Uh -huh. well, two or three. The three that you have to have to get your TV show on TV. A hundred percent. The lights. Not gonna be the black girl. She's gonna be gone the first week, the first episode. Bye. Yeah, it's it's gonna be it's it's gonna be interesting to see. Um, how the, well? No, it's not. I'm not gonna watch it. I, I haven't watched The Bachelor since. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I'm not going to start now. Um, if that was their their ploy, then it didn't work. Um, <laughs> I will say 
I will say that even though he may hang out with white boys, I don't think that may and may not be his fault. You know what I mean? Because you you can't help where your parents live. And if your right. parents, some parents do purposely surround their black kids around white kids for that reason. Oh, 100%. 100%. But he still, but I bet you with, with that, he still had to face a whole bunch of microaggressions. Um, in the movie, in the book, uh, Dear Martin, there was a, a character in her book that uh, was basically kind of like that, where, as you say, whitewashed, to where if they heard a racist joke, they didn't really act on it um, mm-hmm. because they really didn't know what they thought, or your friends may say, oh, you're being sensitive. I had to learn that in the Marines. In the Marines, they're like, in my, I had a, a platoon of like 90, and it was like five of us. <laughs> it was five of us. Everybody else was either white, and then, you know, we had, we had a lot of Mexicans with us too, but, or Latin Americans, um, Hispanics, you know, everybody. I'm not politically correct, but I don't, do not ever intend on, you know, trying to offend anyone. But um, we had to learn how to kind of roll with the punches sometimes because they was they say little jokes, they say little things like when I say CP, get a ride. When I say CP Tom, everyone laughs because we know what that means. When they say CP Tom, it's like, bro, what you talking about? But I could, I didn't, I couldn't fight every white man in my platoon. <laughs> I couldn't fight every white guy in my platoon. So at some point, you have to. We had one brother, uh, Anthony. He, he was the radical one, and I loved Anthony because. Yeah, that would have been me. Yeah, that been me. been me. And so every time we had to argue, I would look at Anthony. I'm like, Anthony, should I get mad about this? Because I didn't know some things. You <laughs> didn't know to get, I didn't know to get mad about certain things. I was like, okay, that was kind of messed up. I don't know how I feel about that. And then Anthony would go off. I'm like, oh, yeah, don't be, don't call me. You can't, you know, not everything resonates with you at first. Like, you have to really, like, I guess there's, like, some of the black people say so you have to marinate on it. You know, like, some things you'd be like, wait a minute, what? Yeah, because you don't always want to pull the I, I don't like You don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. But, you know, you do have to know where, what, when people are trying to say little funny things to you, like, oh, you're so, uh, you're so eloquent in your words. Oh, you speak so well for a black guy. Oh, you're really, I used to get that all the time. Oh, you are so polite. Well, but see, that's offensive. They don't realize that what they're saying is offensive. You don't say that to a, to a black person. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's a gorilla. You're just a gorilla. Yeah. Because I've got all, all my life, you sound white. And I'm just like, when they're like, oh, your name is Darius, and they see me, I'm like, yeah, I'm black. And that's why, and, and I think that's even why it's so important that we even police the things that we say. Man, you talk like you're a white boy. What exactly does that mean? Like, we can't even allow, we can't allow that in our community either. Right, like, can you break that down specifically? Can yeah. you give me a pure prime example of what it means to sound like a white boy? Yes, I pronounce my words the way that they're supposed to be pronounced. Yes, I don't slur or say things crazy or forget, you know, certain vowels, consonants. What does that mean? Does that mean that's mean I'm talking white? I can't just be talking regular? I just can't talk like I have sense. I mean... Right. I, I can't be well-read. Is it a time to be black and be well-read? We, we have to police that as well, man, because we also, we also um, to a certain extent, almost bear some culpability to some of the negative stereotypes that our race has almost accumulated over five, four, five hundred years. Like we are responsible for some of those as well. Like 
black folks not on time. Mm-hmm. See, that's why I'm like, I'm purposely early. I can understand what he's saying. I'm late. And if I'm late, I'm not going to say, well, you know, black folks ain't never, like, I'm not saying that either. Like, I'm right. just, like sometimes shit just happens. I don't know if you see what I'm saying, but I try to, for when it, if it does happen to me, it's one in a million. Because exactly. I will always be that Negro that's 30 minutes or 50 minutes ahead of time. So you purposely don't say, oh, he on CP time. Like for an interview, oh, he on CP time. He ain't gonna get the job. You ten minutes, five minutes late. You about that life? No, uh-uh. And I, think we, I think the space that we share is 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 kind of it's so it's crazy because just all of the stereotypes that we just get being in education, right? Oh, like man, that's a whole episode itself. Like just the those stereotypes. When I tell you, like. It's kind of like why I, why I made my brand what I made my brand, redefining the black man. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm redefining everything it means that you might have thought was negative in accordance with what you see a black man doing. Uh-huh. So in education, they said black men only could, could coach, be assistant principals, mm-hmm. and teach social studies. I oh, be a disciplinarian. Out. You're always the disciplinarian. No matter <laughs> what happens, I'm going to send the Bay-Bay's kids to your class because you know how to... Get on hood level with them and get them straight. You know how to get them in line. You know how to right. get them. <laughs> right. Right. down there, he gonna, he gonna, you know, he can get in their ass. No, what? You might throw a desk at me, and I'm gonna be like, what the hell am I supposed to do? Can it's, I call my mama? You see what I'm saying? Like it's, what? it's like we we just so with all of those stereotypes, I wanted to make sure that okay, everything I did. So uh, only subject I'm teaching is English. Mm-hmm. I, I, I coached my first two year, three years. In teaching, I never coached again. I won't ever coach again because I oh, don't they don't want to see you teach English. You, you're not supposed to be able to spell English. Oh, black man teaching ELA? Oh, hell no. You, that is unheard of. What I teach, when I tell people what I teach, like I can, t- like, you can get, you can, you can sense the energy that is. Oh, oh, you teach English, right? Like, can you write? Like, like, right. like that's how conditioned that the world has become. Like somebody who looks like me can't teach a subject like English. <laughs> because of the mental almost incapabilities that I have, kind of like the black quarterback, like black yeah. people can't play quarterback. Mm-hmm. So it's just those stereotypes, like, I don't know, I don't necessarily know if it's a stereotype that a, uh, somebody, you know, who, who's Eurocentric has to necessarily try to overcome consistently. Like, I don't hear, yeah. as far as on an intellectual level, like, I don't people saying, I, I, I haven't heard any phrases like, Oh, he can't do that because he's not smart enough. Right. Like, it's never been something that has been used to describe somebody who didn't look like me. It's only been described to people who look like me. Mm-hmm. So any and everything that I have to do, I have to show you. Like, for instance, I went to an HBCU school. Like, mm-hmm. I went to an HBCU. But if you put me in a classroom, you could put somebody at the, let's say, the best institution in Louisiana, which is LSU. You could put us both in a classroom, both. both the same set of kids, and let's see who let's see who you're gonna walk out. Let's see who you're gonna walk out putting your money on. Right. So everything that I'm doing, I'm trying to redefine almost the entire black experience. Mm-hmm. So what is what does it mean just to be black? I yo, because you have y'all have so many negative connotations, so many negative stereotypes that are based on people, men, and just everything that is about me. I need to do everything I I have to or that I possibly could do that's going to dispel those stereotypes it's it's funny you say that because i got my career started teaching birth through five and i was the only black man 
for like six years, I was the only black person on staff. When I got hired to teach infants, they were like, wait a minute, you're 22 and you teach babies? They're like, are you sick and twisted? Why do you have to have mouth go left? Why I gotta be sick and twisted? Why I gotta have some kind of trauma behind me the fact that I like to teach little kids? Hard and lucky, man. It's a, it, it's, it's a school full of them over there, man. He's lucky, man. <laughs> yeah. He's lucky, man. He got a, they got a whole football team over there, man. Yeah, I'm telling you, but they don't realize, like, we are such a rarity. And if you see a black man in a birth to five or like an elementary school environment, either you are, you got some kind of hidden agenda. Yup. Or, you know what I'm saying, or you didn't do this for the come up. But it's just like, what, am I, what is this where, this is where my heart is? Why, why are you still in elementary? You know them high school babies? Like, why are you still? Why? I'm telling you, I've heard that for like, this would be my ninth year going in. I've heard that for like six of my years. And they were like, oh, you finally gonna move up to middle grade? It's about time is where they need you at. Well, why can I be a young black man teaching the young kids? What's wrong with that? They're like, oh, you, I taught pre-K for you. They're like, oh, you teach pre-K? Why? What's wrong with you? Yeah, we, they need us Why? everywhere. And that's the, that's the hidden thing, because we only make up 2% of the entire... 2%. 2%. 2%. Black men. And when I uh, started teaching, they had me teach. They had me coach basketball. I wasn't good at basketball. Never good <laughs> at basketball. See, that I, breaks the stereotype. You can't shoot a hoop. What's wrong with you? I had to coach basketball for an entire, entire season. Now, we only won one game because I told you I don't know how to play basketball. But I built a great relationship with them, <laughs> with them young ladies. They, they killed – we had a great relationship. But, um, hey, guys, that's going to be it for today. Thank you guys for joining in. Um, Van, do you have any final words you would like to share with us before we get out of here? Um, I guess you could say my final words would just have to be something just as far as sending around all black men just across the country. You know, regardless of the situation that we play, that we're placed in in the world right now, regardless of what circumstance that we might have fallen victim to over the course of the past 400 years, you are, you still are kings as well as my ladies and queens of this world. Understand you are true royalty in any and everything you do. Whenever you step foot out of your bed or your couch or your chair or whatever it is that you do, understand and make sure that you're walking a path of simple royalty. Nothing more, nothing less, just straight royalty. Everything that, that, that almost exudes you, everything that comes out of you, it ought, to, it ought to speak in the sense of nothing but class, nothing but royalty, and just, just nothing but accomplishment. That's what I want us to understand. Don't fall victim to the narrow stereotypes that they placed on just our race in general, regardless of what they are. Don't focus on those negative stereotypes, but let's continue to build on the things that we do extremely well, and let's be the best across the globe at doing it, you know? Yes, yeah. you, and slay what you're doing, because you're, you're preaching right there. Like, I, I felt that, like, for real, because I'm moving to a white area for my next chapter in my teaching career. It's hard. It's hard out there. You know, there's so many things that go through your mind. You're like, can I do this? What am I going up against? Man, am I gonna be the only colored, quote unquote? And, and it's crazy that you even that you're gonna even be in that situation because I've always I've always said I know if I leave the school that I'm met as far as a Title One, ninety eight percent African American. Mm -hmm. I know if I leave there and, and I go somewhere where people where people who don't look like me, I can affect the way they see people who look right. like me. 
I've always been, I've always been really torn between it because I never want to go over there and you can't identify, I don't want to be identified as the token black person. And see, that, that's funny you mentioned, like, I'm going, I've taught in Title One area for like the past three, four years. I went back to the county I grew up in, what I graduated from. I'm going to predominantly, it's in the cab, but it's a white area. I'm like, I'm going to be stereotyped. I have over 32 tattoos. They oh, you're placed on my body, so you can't see them. But it's just like I'm have to wear long sleeves every day. You see, it's constantly things like, okay, most of the time my hair is dyed in the top, it's a red or a brown color. I'm gonna go straight back to my roots. You see, there's things that as a black man they will never understand. I'm have to wear long sleeves in 89 degree weather. But it's kind of like what y'all do over at Ron Clark is just as far as the way you that he has you guys, and I think is I think is excellent. Just the way everybody, every man who who just walks that campus, you mm-hmm. have on a, a, a particular suit. Because yeah. of the simple fact, and I don't know if this is this is the reason, but I know the reason behind why I wear one every day is because I know every single day is going to be a young black boy, it's going to be yeah. a young black girl who's not going to be able to consistently see somebody who looks or who is well who is well dressed as I am. Yeah. And I yeah. need I need them to understand that it's okay to dress like this but still love everything that you love about yourself. A- absolutely. And there's so much okay. power okay. There is so much power. That's, that's, that's been the biggest gripe in our community as far as why we're almost stunning the elevation that we really can see because when you step, when someone steps outside and they do something different or is out of the norm, they're outcast, they're ostracized. Mm-hmm. But I want to make, I want my kids to understand Mr. Phillips has on a suit, but yeah, Mr. Phillips bumping that new ride wave as well. So mm-hmm. I want you to, understand that it's a correlation between what I'm doing here as well as what I'm doing outside. And I don't want you to think the only time that you're going to have to necessarily look nice is when you're going to a funeral or if, you, or if you're going Absolutely. to court, you know, or if you're going to church. No, I need this to be an everyday mm-hmm. because I think that's just a part of just being royal. I think that's that, a part of it, just in the way you present yourself. And you don't have to pick a side. That's my thing with our black kids. They feel like you have to pick or choose. Either I'm going to be straight hood I'm gonna be whitewashed, so to speak. Oh, That's me. On the outside, yeah, I may appear to be whitewashed. You see me on Saturday and Sunday, I'm gonna meet you as quote unquote D money. You may, you don't you don't know who you're gonna run into. D-money? But it's like you can both. You don't <laughs> have to look D money is a straight savage, but <laughs> you don't have to pick. You can be both. You see what I'm saying? You you have to learn how to code switch. How to you code. have to be able to adapt to your environment. You I think that's a, that's a under, that's a, un, that's a skill that has not been given the credit that it really deserves, man. Being able right. to switch those codes from one, like mm-hmm. everybody can't do that. And it's not enough. And they're, and, and our kids aren't seeing enough people who are able to do it. Yeah. So yeah, I see Mr. Harden every day and he got on the suit. And so he's already a little different than me, but man, he know all the latest moves on TikTok. Right, he knows all the rap lyrics. He knows that Roddy Rich. You see what I'm saying? Oh, what? Hey, y'all stop lying. I don't know none of the words. I don't know none of the words. But what I will tell, <laughs> what I will say is, is, it is important. They need to be able to see you. I like to dress up because, honestly, I find it really hard to learn from somebody who has on wrinkled pants. Your shirt is wrinkled. If you, I used to work um, at a school, and I swear. I will get praised for, I always get, people always say you're fashionable. Van, I look at mm-hmm. you. Van is fashion. 
I'm not fashion. You know what I mean? I just find a suit and I find a tie that I think matches and I put it together. You know what I mean? Like, you have... You know, well, you know what's funny, though? If they say you're fashionable, it's funny as a black male. If you're fashionable as a black male, you have to assume that, oh, he's gay. See, I don't ever take it as that. I just always take it as, um, <laughs> I just, I dress nice, but I'm like, this is the standard dress. You know, I, I'm having on a, at that time, I wasn't wearing a whole suit. You know, I wore a button down, I'll put on a tie, and I'll put on some slacks, or I'll wear some khakis with it. But that's that lets you know how low the bar they they how low the bar they have set for us. Oh, it's scraping the barrel. It's scraping the barrel. Like the imaginary bar for where you can say for me just to wear something just decent looking, like like you said, no suit, you know, no three piece. Just I just got on a pair of slacks, a dress shirt, and a tie. Wow, you're so fat, like. Is the bar set that low for people who look like me to where when I could just put on some sort of decent clothes, I can be seen right. as a as a fashion guy? Like, mm -hmm. is the bar? No, I, I want it to be to where, oh, that's just Phillips in a suit again. Like, see, the norm. Don't let us wear our button up in khakis. Oh, you must have an interview. <laughs> it's, it's like, I yeah. look, I felt, I look, I like wearing khakis. I wear polos. Is there something wrong with that? This nope. is who I am. Jeans are a rare occasion for me. So I have on jeans, I'm really chilling. We had a barbecue. That's just how relaxed I am with jeans on. Not in Texas. I have burn up. Um, <laughs> I ain't got number like two. <laughs> um, Darius, um, is there anything, any announcements that you need to make for this week? Uh, no. Um, just thank you guys again for tuning in. We appreciate you. Thank you. Uh, thanks again for fan films having you know you being on. We appreciate you. Uh, it's been a mega amazing episode. That's pretty much it. That's all I got. And guys, uh, I know this conversation about Black Lives Matter is not is not going to stop, and we will make sure that we do our just do part and we're making sure that we bring up the conversation that we're talking about the things that are happening. <laughs> Uh, we do our best to make sure that we say it in a way that is true, that comes from love and from a good place. Um, until next time, guys, we will see y'all later. And we are out. <laughs>